Welcome to Res Talk, your source for the latest news, opinions, and training from top building performance, rating, and auditing experts. Here's your host, committed building science enthusiast and registered professional engineer, Bill Spohn. Welcome back to another episode of the Res Talk podcast, where it's our goal to communicate with the ResNet community and let you know we hear you and wish to engage. I'm your host, Bill Spohn, and I've worked in HVACR and building performance in markets and industries for almost the last 30 years, and have been interfacing with the team at ResNet for nearly that whole time. If you like what you've heard today, um, you listen in, and you've not yet subscribed to the podcast, please consider doing so by typing ResTalk into the search bar in any of the podcast apps. That way you'll get all the episodes as soon as they launch. If you're a consumer and want to learn more about the benefits of a home energy rating, cruise on over to ResNet.us to learn more. In today's episode, we'll hear from Scott Grefsheim. We're going to be talking about build it tight, ventilate it right. He's a senior product engineer at Research Products, which serves products out under the brand name of April Air, and he shares his 25-year passion for building products that improve health and comfort at homes and buildings. We'll discuss his role as a product engineer, codes, dealers, working with the different constituents as he designs product specifications. He'll cover various types of products and controls that perform the basic rule of ventilation, which is to help dilute pollutants in the indoor air to acceptable levels while maintaining occupant comfort. So let's listen in as Scott gets a little technical with us, but also gives us a really good overview of this whole process of ventilation and doing it right. Hello, Scott. How are you doing? Good morning, Bill. I'm doing very well. How are you? Very good. Thanks. Let's get right into it. We'll be talking about sort of expanding on the notion of building a tight, ventilating right, satisfying building codes and consumer expectations for health and comfort. So let's start right in with that sort of title thought there. What are the building codes that would be involved with ventilation? There's a number of different reasons that you want to ventilate a home. We're, we're building them so tight. We're so energy conscious. We're building homes so tight. We really want to control where that energy is going to heat and cool our homes. So we're building our houses very tight. And that really drives the need to bring in some out, so force in some outside air. Starting with the premise that ventilation is just a good thing for a number of reasons. There's construction materials that are used to produce a new home that are emitting VOCs and other contaminants. When you cook, when you clean, you're emitting particles into the air. And then let's just face it, people are spending a whole lot of time inside now. So adding ventilation, regardless of what the codes say, is just a fantastic idea. It's something that's really necessary. Now, where the codes come in is when you build a new home, depending on what state municipality you live in, they're going to have building codes that determine a number of things, how tightly the home is built, the efficiency of some of the equipment, and importantly here, the amount of ventilation. Specifically, those are most of those local state codes are based off of the International Code Council codes. And specifically for residential, it would be the International Residential Code. So that's the code that we're going to adhere to. What's your background in the world of codes? How do you get so conversant on that? I'm not involved in the development or writing of codes. I do have to build products that meet the requirements of the code. So I do need to understand them very thoroughly and understand how the products can be used to help builders meet those code requirements in the best way possible. Why don't we talk about you a little bit, get to know you a little bit more. You said you build products that meet codes. What's your background? What do you do for April Air? I'm a product engineer here at April Air. And as a product engineer, it's my job to define what a new product has to do 
to meet the requirements of our customers. Our customers being homeowners, builders, dealers, energy raters. There's a large list of customers that we have to answer to. So you have to understand how these codes affect all of those different groups of customers and then build products that can meet the codes in the most economical way and the most comfortable way. I'm not sure I've interviewed for ResTalk a product engineer before. Can you kind of give us, and this might be revealing or interesting for listeners out there, uh, like how long does it take to develop a product? Most products are on a 12-month development cycle. I'd say it's fairly standard. Some products are a little less complex and they can be done a little less time. Some products are a little more complex and require 18 months, possibly a couple of years to develop. The first part of any of those projects is sort of defining what the product needs to do. And that's really where my job starts is going out, talking to customers, understanding the application, and then bringing that information back and putting it into product terms so we can build a product that meets those requirements and we can measure that the product does what we want it to do. And you speaking of measure that it does what it wants to do, well, how about we back up a little bit and you describe the range of products that April Air has, and then I'm imagining it's larger than just the ventilation products. If you could just give us an overview. Research Products is in the business of improving indoor air quality. And Research Products is the sort of the formal corporate name of April Air? You can tell I've been here a long time. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we started out with Research Products. We changed our name to April Air for this division. And yes, April Air is our brand division. Research Products is the mother organization, so to speak. But we are in the business of indoor air quality. So we make all the HVAC accessories that are used to supply or control those things that affect indoor air quality. So specifically, we manufacture humidifiers, air cleaners thermostats, zone control systems, dehumidifiers, and ventilation systems. How long have you worked for research products? It'll be 25 years this year. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. And in that time, I've touched pretty much every product that we manufacture, either as a product engineer or assisting with other engineers, other than humidifiers. So don't ask me a lot of humidifier questions. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) What's your background to get to that point where you're product engineer for April Air? My degree is in mechanical engineering. And then out of school, I think most mechanical engineers have their hearts set on designing the next car or spaceship, but everyone goes their separate ways. And for me, it was going into an architectural engineering firm. So I was designing HVAC systems for commercial applications. And then I transitioned to April Air when we introduced our first zone control system back in 1993, that's when we introduced our first zone control system. They wanted someone who had some experience. It was mainly a commercial product back then, much more residential now, who had some experience with how those systems work. And it just sort of naturally fell into place there. And then from zone control systems, I worked with thermostats and then just sort of evolved into dehumidifiers and ventilation from there. My degree is in mechanical engineering, and I served as a product engineer for a couple companies too. So I'm just giving you like a virtual fist bump. Okay. All right. All right. All right. You talked about defining the product terms, and then you stress the word and measure that it works. How do you do that? In terms of ventilation, what the code says is that there's a certain amount of airflow that you need to deliver into the house. And with that, there's some consequences to bringing in outdoor air. So you have to be able to 
accurately measure flow, that's sort of the standard bear. That's what you have to prove that you are bringing in. And you have to be able to measure things like temperature and humidity. And you have to be able to verify that your product in its application is measuring those things accurately. So those are some examples of ways that we can measure the product's performance. We can measure its airflow on a regular basis, which we do with all of our products. We test them on a regular basis to make sure that they deliver what our performance specifications say they deliver. But then there's the background information that our systems acquire, like temperature and humidity, that we measure and make sure that is as accurate as it can be. When you get the products into the field, you make essentially a component of a system, of a house system, which means a component has to interface with other components. What can go right or wrong in that interface? The ventilation system, when it's bringing in outdoor air, so if it's directly interfacing with the furnace and air conditioning, what can go wrong with that is if you are bringing in, let's say, a lot of really cold outdoor air, you don't want the air entering your furnace to be below a certain point. Manufacturers generally will say around 55 degrees. You don't want it to be below that. And then same with bringing in hot and humid air. You don't want to bring that into the house and cause some comfort problems. There's a number of ways that ventilation can interact with the various systems within a house. I'd imagine that's these interface points and these temperatures and humidity conditions that's up to the specifier or the installer to look ahead to that kind of information. Yeah, it is. And with our control system and our ventilation products, and I should back up a little bit and say that really there's a number of different products that are available for ventilation. And from simple bath fans to supply fans to energy exchangers like HRVs and ERVs, we do not offer the exhaust fan. So that's not something that we control. It's definitely a method of providing ventilation, but it's just not something that we dive into. We are more into the supply ventilation systems, which means we bring in outdoor air, we force in outdoor air, and then we let it exhaust from the home in natural exhaust points like kitchen exhaust vents, for example, or bathroom exhaust vents. And we have an ERV, which we're bringing in air and we're exchanging air at the same rate. It's called balanced ventilation. And we're exchanging energy, both sensible and latent. So we're exchanging moisture and as well as heat with that outdoor air. So the controls that we have will integrate with those systems and try to bring in air at optimum times. Are these systems running continuously or are they running intermittently? You mentioned controls, so there must be something to do with turning them on and off dependent upon conditions. Like I said, the codes define how much airflow needs to come into a house to keep the, and basically ventilation is a means of diluting pollutants in the home, right? So you're bringing in an amount of outdoor air to dilute pollutants in the home. And the code says that to do that adequately, you need to bring in a certain amount of airflow on a continuous basis. So let's just say, for example, it's 60 CFM. Code says you need to bring in 60 CFM, and that's based on the size of the house and the number of bedrooms. Code says you need to bring in 60 CFM continuously. So you can install a system that turns on and it runs all the time and it brings in 60 CFM, and that satisfies the code requirement. There are times, however, when bringing in outdoor air is not the most desirable, and those would be if it's a really humid day and particularly like in the Southeast, where maybe you don't have the heat load, maybe it's a night or it's a transition season like spring or fall, and you don't have the heat load to turn your AC on, yet you're bringing in a lot of humid air. 
that's not ideal. So one way to handle that, to mitigate some of those situations is to bring in air intermittently and time that with the operation of the HVAC system. And that's one of the things that our controls do. So the controls and the ventilation systems work hand in hand there. Exactly. Yep. In the Southeast, for example, the way the controls would work is it would say, okay, we need to bring in 60 CFM continuously. What the code says is you can bring that in continuously, or you could bring in 120 CFM for 30 minutes of every hour. I don't know if that makes sense. So that's sort of the equivalent. Yeah, you divide it up. Exactly right. Or you can bring in 180 CFM for 20 minutes. All of those things are equivalent to bringing in 60 CFM. With intermittent, the key to intermittent ventilation is to time that those periods where you turn on your ventilation system with when your HVAC system is operating. So if you bring in 180 CFM, for example, of outdoor air for 20 minutes, you try to time it for those 20 minutes to occur when the air conditioning is running. So that outdoor air gets dried before it gets into the house. So our controls have the capability to measure the humidity in the air and say, is it above or below whatever the setting is? And it has the ability to measure the temperature because you could use the same thing for temperature in Phoenix, for example, instead of humidity, you may want to avoid ventilating when it's 105 degrees out instead only ventilate it when it's 95 degrees out. So you can set that limit as well and not ventilate during those really extreme times and ventilate during more opportune times. And that's where the comfort part comes into the equation in our controls. Just go back a little bit. When did uh, Research Products get started and how did the company get into these array of products? Research Products has been around for a little over 80 years now. Wow. And the company was started as actually a battery manufacturer. And that just sort of transitioned into this whole process of slit and expanding uh, material. Whether it's aluminum, paper, that process sort of begat the humidifier panel. And humidifiers are really where we started. We're a company located in Wisconsin. We're north, so we're used to cold. And our biggest problems here is that it's too dry in the wintertime. Everything dries out. So we developed the first whole house humidifier. And that's how the company started. From there, the products line just started to evolve into focusing on indoor air quality. We decided that we're not going to be the company that makes the heating and air conditioning equipment, but we're going to make everything that attaches to it to make the indoor environment as good as it can be. So that sort of led us into air cleaners, which is our next biggest product line. And then we slowly we transitioned into the zone control systems thermostats, dehumidification, and then, of course, ventilation was sort of the most recent entry into the indoor air quality product line. We're talking on the ResTalk podcast. What's April Air's work been with ResNet? Exhibitor, presenter, what do you guys do with ResNet, with the community? So, yeah, we've done exhibitors at the ResNet conference. I've given a presentation at the ResNet conference. We recently became, and I'm going to forget the correct term to use here, but a commercial partner? Product council, something like that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We recognize that folks that are associated with ResNet have a really important communication line with the people that are responsible for installing the equipment. They also have to measure how well these things perform. They've become one of our customers by necessity. They're touching the product, they're letting people know how well it works, and they're interacting with builders, and they can offer solutions to builders if they have a problem it turns out that 
some of these builders will really go to their folks at ResNet and say, hey, you guys see a lot of products. What's out there that can work? So it's been a really important relationship for us. And it's we're just starting to really take advantage of this relationship. When you say measure performance and you're saying a rater to measure performance or a HERS rater, what would they be doing? What would be the specific task they would be doing to measure performance with ventilation performance, I mean? So with regard to ventilation, the important things are that they're going to need to verify that the equipment is capable of delivering the right amount of ventilation. So they have to know how much ventilation is required in that particular house. And that is either assigned by an engineer or it's determined by the contractor. And it's, again, based on square footage and number of rooms. And with our control system, the rater can actually just push a button and it'll tell them, here's the required CFM. Here's how much airflow is being delivered. Therefore, here's how many minutes per hour it's going to run. So all that information is readily available by the controls. But of course, the raters are independent and they've got to do their job. So they're going to measure it and verify it in their own ways. So that's something they have to know is how much airflow is required. And then the second is they got to verify that the product is delivering the airflow that it says it's going to deliver. So they have to measure airflow. And that can be sort of with some ventilation systems, exhaust type ventilation systems, for example, the flow hood has been around forever and it's a commonly used tool and everyone knows how to use it. And it works great and it gives reliable, accurate measurements. Unfortunately, a lot of with our supply side systems, a lot of those intake hoods are located in a space that's a little less convenient or even not safe in some situations for a raider to go outside and put a flow hood yeah on an intake hood so what we've done with our product line is we've developed pressure measuring ports that are right on the unit resnet standard 380 has some suggestions for how to measure mechanical ventilation and with a supply-based system if you can't get to the inlet or the outlet of where the air is coming into or being delivered to then you have to measure it somewhere in the middle and the standard allows for the use of an airflow station is one example. It's a great solution. A lot of ducts used in ventilation are the flex duct, so it's not always real convenient to get an airflow station installed. So we've implemented pressure ports onto our ventilators. So all raters will have a simple pressure measuring gauge. All they have to do is attach it to these pressure ports, take a pressure reading, and then there's a chart right on the ventilator that says this pressure corresponds to this airflow. So they know if they measure this pressure, then they have this much airflow going through the unit. I can feel the vibe. There are many raiders out there right now simultaneously patting you on the back saying thank you. Because <laughs> <laughs> you did take a very, in some cases, almost impossible or like you said, dangerous task and bring it down to something that can be more readily done and serve to verify the flow through the device. So. How long ago did you implement that? That's a great thing. We actually, we've had it on our 8144NC product since its introduction, like eight months ago. Uh, we've just recently implemented it onto our other supply product lines, our 8140 and our 8140NC uh, product line, which is our main supply ventilation product. We're still working on a way to implement it into our 8142 product line, which is more for the Southwest. Not any less important. It's just a little more difficult product to get that pressure port implemented. So we're still working on that one. So we've had it for a while on one product and we're transitioning it right now into the other and then give us six months on the last one. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And we heard going back to what you had asked me originally about how what a product engineer does and what our role is. That is our role. And, and ResNet, the energy raters have become our customers. We've heard what they've said. And that's how those sort of product ideas evolve. That's you're really fulfilling the mission there. 
I've seen a lot of IEQ monitors come onto the market. Are you keeping track of those trends? Things that will actually measure more than just humidity, temperature. They'll measure other constituents in the air, some of the pollutants you talked about. Is that something that you guys are looking at? Uh, We are always looking at various sensing technology. The whole difficult part of that sensing technology is how to integrate it into a space, particularly a residential space. People don't like a lot of things on their walls, unless they're pictures, right? Or (laughs) something, a granite countertop. They like the stuff that belongs in a home, the stuff that is used for measuring. It's not always the most convenient thing to mount on a wall. So we do look at that, and we look at the best ways that can be used to integrate that into a control system, maybe integrated into a thermostat, for example. So yes, we do keep an eye on that. And we do keep an eye on things like the evolution of the ASHRAE standards for ventilation and how they are evolving and taking advantage of when this technology becomes not only accurate, but economical, then it becomes something that can be integrated into systems. So yeah, we do keep an eye on it. And we're just waiting for the time that something is accurate and economical, and then somehow integrate that into the standard and into the code. So there's a reason to use it. It'll be an investment. That sort of sensing technology always comes at a cost. And as long as there's a reason to use it, then people are willing to pay for it. Absolutely. You mentioned the ASHRAE standards. What's the involvement with April Air Research Products with the ASHRAE standards? We are just listeners to the standards committee. We do attend all of the standard committee meetings, as many as we can. The summer and the winter meetings, we attend those. That's pretty much the level of our involvement. And then, of course, just staying in tune with what's going on. We receive all of the updates. We receive all of the addendas that get proposed. And we comment when we think we should. So really just sort of staying in tune with how the standards are evolving is what's important. Is that ASHRAE 62, the standard we're talking about? Yeah, for residential, it's ASHRAE standard 62.2. And then commercially, it's ASHRAE standard 62.1. Now, the 62.2 version of the standard is currently at 2016 revision. I believe that the 2019 revision will be out relatively soon. The IRC is based on the 2010 version of the standard. So the ASHRAE standard has evolved quite a bit. The code community is still happy with the 2010 version of the standard. Even in the 2018 version of the IRC, that's the standard that is being used. Would you be able to draw some differences between the 2010 and the 2016 as impacted by our topic, ventilation? So the biggest difference between the two is an infiltration credit. So in the 2010, I don't want to simplify. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. (laughs) There's a lot of work that goes into this. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's a good committee. There's a lot of great work and there's a lot of detail in that standard. But the biggest difference from a product perspective is the amount of air that the mechanical ventilation system has to bring in. In the 2010 version of the standard, there was sort of a base credit you get for infiltration. So air naturally infiltrating into the house. Without mechanical ventilation, air is going to come in simply due to temperature differences between inside and outside, the fact that even tight homes are not air sealed. So there's always going to be some air coming into the house. And the 2010 version of the standard just sort of implied a certain amount of infiltration. So you had to make up the rest in mechanical ventilation. So it was a lower mechanical ventilation rate. Later versions of the standard said, well, we agree that there is this infiltration, but it's measurable, so you need to measure it before you can take the credit for it. So the amount of mechanical ventilation, if you don't take credit, is significantly higher. That's, from a product perspective, the biggest difference. That means uh, more CFMs, basically, for similar size structures. Exactly. Between the two two codes. Exactly. 
how about we focus in a little bit on the balanced ventilation? I mean, balanced is always like a calming word. It's kind of like yoga or something like that. I feel <laughs> like, like we're, we're in balance here. So why don't you get into a few of the details about how that works? Not proprietary details, but just general. So there's nothing proprietary about balanced ventilation. It's been around for a long, long time. And it's simply bringing in the same amount of air that you exhaust. And your mechanical ventilation system is, if you're bringing in 60 CFM, you are mechanically exhausting 60 CFM. That's where the term balance comes from. Systems that are balanced could include two fans, one that brings in air and one that exhausts air running at the same time. That would be considered balanced ventilation. The most prominent or the most popular forms of balanced ventilation, however, have an energy exchange core inside them. So there's a couple of fans and there's this energy exchange core that's between the two air streams. So you preheat or pre-cool the air that's coming in and you can transfer moisture between the air that's coming in and the air that's going out. So HRVs and ERVs have become synonymous with balanced systems, heat recovery ventilation systems, energy recovery ventilation systems, the latter of which implies moisture transfer. So those two fans must run at the same rate in order to bring in 60 and exhaust 60 through the same ductwork. Is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's one of the important things about installing that sort of system is that whenever you attach ductwork to any fan, it'll change its performance. The trick is to balance the two airstreams. Number one, the energy exchange improves when they're balanced. And then number two, for a truly balanced system, you got to make sure you're exhausting and supplying the same amount of air. If this podcast, we hope, reaches <laughs> builders, installers, what advice would you give them for installation of your products? First and foremost, people have to know how much airflow is required. And it's outlined really well in codes. It's either in table form or there's a very simple equation to use to know how much ventilation required. The second thing I would say is don't overventilate. There are issues that arise with ventilation. You have to heat and or cool and or dry out and or add humidity to that air that you're bringing in. So bring in what you should, but there's no sense in bringing in more. And then finally, I would say, once you install a product, you have to measure how much flow it's actually bringing in. If you're going to run it intermittently, or even if you're going to run it continuously, you got to make sure that it's bringing in at least the amount of required ventilation. If you're going to run it intermittently, you have to know how much is coming in so you can set it to run the correct number of minutes per hour. So those are the most important. And then secondarily, I would say install the right control system. So if you're going to take advantage of intermittent ventilation, make sure you have the control system that can recognize when there's a heating call or a cooling call from your HVAC system so it can sync up the ventilation with a heat call or a cool call. And all of our products have the ability to do that. So that's the advice that I would give them. Can you only use your controls on your products or can you use other controls? You can definitely use other controls. And in fact, we've integrated all the ventilation strategy that we have in our ventilation control. We've integrated that into our thermostat line. So you can actually connect your ventilation system to your thermostat. So you have one less thing to install, one less touch point that the dealer has to go and find in the house to make sure it's set up right. It's all located right at the thermostat. And you've already sort of proven out the interface and the compatibility between these systems. So it should be less of a hassle, much less of a hassle to do that. That's right. That's right. And there's nothing proprietary. It's sort of simple control. I and mean, the controller itself is making complex decisions, but basically what it's doing is turning something on and off. It doesn't have to communicate. It doesn't have to drive a blowers at different rates or whatever. It's either on or it's off. So the control will work with many systems. 
I've been reading recently online, someone's posting about we should have people think more about dew point versus relative humidity. Do you have any opinions or thoughts on that? Wow, that's a subject. Yeah, (laughs) I do. And with regard to whenever you're interfacing with outdoor air, I think dew point is definitely the best control variable to use. And here's an example. If you used RH, and let's say you wanted to limit bringing in outdoor air when it was too humid, when there's too much moisture in the air. Well, when it's 40 degrees out, the air might be 80 or 90% RH, but there's really very little moisture in the air. So when you bring it in, you're really not bringing in that much moisture. So if you had an RH control, you would limit operation when really you shouldn't because there's not that much moisture in cold air. So dew point when you're integrating with outdoor conditions is the best control scheme. The downside of it is that people don't understand it. People hear it sometimes when they listen to the weather forecast, but how you would set it and what you're comfortable at, that's still sort of a mystery. So RH is the best user interacting variable. Do you guys do webinars, anything like that, to help train people on some of these technical topics? Or is it mainly the presentations at the different conferences? We do offer webinars, but mainly it's presentations. And with April Air, we've got a pretty extensive field sales force throughout the country. And another job of the product engineer is to help train our field sales force and their customers on what our products can do. So as one of my responsibilities, I will do seminars directly at site. So I'll travel to different parts of the country and just let people know, here's what products are available. And that's really the biggest thing is people just don't know what's available. And so just simply getting out there saying, hey, these products exist to help control this problem that you're having is half the battle. So yeah, we do some webinars, but mainly we're traveling with field sales. We're directly face-to-face or we're doing it at conferences. Do you have any resources that are available? Any links you could give me? Our website is a fantastic tool and it's aprilairpartners.com. And that's air with an E? It is A-P-R-I-L-A-I-R-E partners.com. Yep. And in there you'll find information on all of our products, sales information, technical bulletins, performance specifications, all that stuff is in there. And if there's any follow-up as a result of this, someone listening in, is the best place to put an inquiry up on the website? Is there an email address they could write to or a phone number? If anyone has technical questions, going to the April Air Partners site, there's a contact us tab. And in there, there's some phone numbers if you have general questions or if you have some very specific Wi-Fi or home automation type questions. And then there's an email link for tech support. And that goes through our technical support group here at the office. And if there are questions that they need additional help on, those questions come directly to me. So you just mentioned a little word there, Wi-Fi. What's going on in the world of Wi-Fi with your products? Like I said, we introduced a thermostat line a number of years ago. And then, of course, staying with the times, everybody likes to have access on their phone. So many of our thermostats have Wi-Fi capability. So you can connect to your thermostat. And we have an app that allows you to connect to the thermostat. The difference between our Wi-Fi thermostat than, say, a Nest or, or others is that we really focus on the ability to control your indoor air quality products. So in the application, not only can you change temperature and temperature settings and whether you're in heating or cooling or turning it off, you can also control humidity settings, dehumidification settings. You can control if you want to turn the ventilation on and off, for example. If you're going to be having a party, for example, and if you're running intermittent ventilation, instead of doing 20 minutes per hour, maybe you want to do it 
60 minutes per hour for three hours because you got a lot of people in the house and you want to exchange the air. You have the ability to do that with our application. We covered a lot of information here today, and I just got you prepared a great outline beforehand. Do you think we covered through all those topics? Yeah, we absolutely did. Not exactly in the order you wanted to, but (laughs) (laughs) it still worked. So any closing thoughts here for those listening into the Res Talk podcast, Scott? Yeah, I would say there are options. Ventilation is a good thing. It seems like it's sort of an evil necessity, but it's a good positive thing. We want to dilute the pollutants there. We want to have a healthy home. Everyone wants to have a healthy home. And I know that there are problems associated with ventilation, but there are also solutions. And I would encourage the listeners to look up. We offer a complete line of ventilation products that offer solutions to some of those problems. Others do as well. There are products out there. Just take the time to take a look. Perfect. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate you coming on today on this episode of the Res Talk podcast. And Scott, maybe we'll get you back in the future when you get some new product advancements. Sounds like you're always staying busy. All right. Well, thank you, Bill. And yes, we are. (laughs) Okay. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening in to this episode of the Res Talk podcast. We hope you picked up on those three key points that Scott shared there. That was the key points of advice for energy raters. One, knowing the flow. Make sure you know the required airflow in the building you're testing. Second, don't overventilate, as that brings on additional energy needs from heating, cooling, dehumidifying, or humidifying the ventilation air. And then the final point of installing properly and measuring performance and also being certain using the appropriate controls. If you're a pro in the building science market, the building market, you may want to surf on over to resnet.us slash professional to learn more or to join the email list. You can also find ResNet on Facebook or Twitter at ResNetUS. Here's a quote for the day. It's by Evil Knievel. I love the feeling of fresh air on my face and the wind blowing through my hair. I'm thinking that's probably not the same perspective that Scott might have on fresh air, but it's an interesting one anyway. If you're interested in feeding back to Resin on what you heard here today and would like to hear perhaps a new topic covered or discuss a general question or anything in more detail, please send an email to info at resnet, R-E-S-N-E-T dot U-S. And again, if you've not subscribed, please do so. As always, we thank you for listening to the Res Talk podcast. See you again next time. Thanks for listening to the Res Talk podcast. This podcast is hosted by Bill Spohn, produced by Brian Orr, and is a production of ResNet, the Residential Energy Services Network. The best way to listen to this podcast is to subscribe on an iPhone using the podcast app or on an Android device by downloading the Stitcher app and searching for ResTalk. If you are willing, a review on iTunes of the podcast app will help others find the show and would be very much appreciated. We look forward to talking again soon on ResTalk. ResTalk.